This morning we'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. I was so moved by worship in the first service before I came up here, I was in tears, and I didn't know that I could even preach. So moved at my age, I'm beginning to think more and more and more about death and the end of this physical life, and, and that's impacting my life in lots of ways. I came to Christ out of a horrific fear of death, and God's empowering me and enabling me to embrace that day when I will be with Him, and I will see Him face to face. And still a very tender, soft spot, soft spot in my heart, but this passage really brought it home to me in, in a couple of ways through the course of the week, so pray, uh, let's pray together as we open God's Word. Father, <clears throat> we thank you for the power of your Word, and Father, for the power of emotion you've given us in our hearts as we sing praises and thoughtful reflection on who you are, Father, that you can bring worship and your word together in such a powerful, life-changing way. So guide our time together as we open your word to think through uh, this great question. What is it I I love most in life? So guide, lead, give uh, your spirit free reign in me and through each one here today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I had to tell you that uh, <clears throat> I didn't come to faith until I was nearly 30, so I lived a lot of life in the flesh. Uh, we'll get to this in a bit, but all we have until we come to faith is flesh. And so I pretty much did whatever I wanted to do. I uh, lived life, and I followed my desires, my plans, my purposes, and, and that's what life was pretty much like. You know, I did uh, care for some things, like my wife and my kids. I cared for them, kept them safe, uh, did what I could to keep them happy so they would meet my needs. Uh, It kind of goes that way in the world if you understand what I'm saying. The reality is, uh, yeah, it's just what life was like for us. You know, I had the desires that we all struggle with in life. You know, I, I had this obsession with Corvettes And even now, they're hotter than they ever were. And I still, whenever I see one, I kind of have that little, I wish I could have one of those, but I would never spend that kind of money for a car. So I'm too tight. But the reality is we all have these desires that are really uh, alive within us. I saw one Thursday parked in a driveway, and my first thought was, I want that car. It just never kind of goes away. But that's the reality of living in this life. And Prior to coming to Christ, I just got whatever I wanted. I did whatever I wanted to do. We lived on a a large home. Everybody wants usually a bigger, better home, so we had that early on in life, and five acres, an estate home. I had a five-foot ZTR mower to mow the grass with. I could knock the grass out in two and a half hours, so that's pretty cool. Love that mower, love to to mow grass in. I hate to mow grass now, 
But anyway, it's just what you do in your life, the things that you allow to shape you and move you forward. You know, I spent a lot of time kissing up to people so I could advance my career and do better in life. And I don't know if you relate to any of this in life, but I think we all have similar struggles. Uh, as you go through life, what are some of your desires? Sometimes it's for bigger houses, better cars, better jobs. Maybe it's more golf, more hunting, more fishing. Maybe it's for more kids. Who knows? All of these things uh, can be uh, those things that we literally lust after, crave uh, for. And so today we come to a passage in 1 John that will challenge us, I think, to the core of our being about what do we love most in life. What is it that uh, captures our attention and our fascination with all of these things that we are surrounded by? To, to break it down, I, I want to ask three questions as we go through the passage. The first is, is God's love in you? <clears throat> the second one I, I want to answer is, is God's life in you? This is a very diagnostic question. Uh, how are you living out your faith? And lastly, is God's eternity in you? So those will give us kind of a road map as we go through the passage today. So let's jump in in verse 15 and uh, read the scriptures together. John writes these words, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the question is, is God's love in you? That's what this question begs, at least in my understanding. The reality is we can't answer that question until we understand two words. What does the word world mean? And what does it mean to love the world? So let's begin with the word world. Uh, the word as it's used here is not how we commonly think of it as this planet or us, the people on it. It is, and this is, I'm just going to read this. It is the totality of human ideals, philosophies, and values devoid of God. And you know what I'm talking about. There is a world out there that mocks God, that's turned its back on God. That is the world that is in view here. Do we love it? We'll talk about that in a bit. Some of the scriptures that help us identify and understand this world uh, from John's uh, first epistle here is verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We are at animosity. We're, we're in a battle with this world as it exists under the dominion, the influence, and the power of Satan. 1 John 5, 19 says this, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So this is the realm in which we are called to live, day in, day out, with all of its assaults on our spirituality. We are left here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think most of us, if we had a choice, would leave. Let's just go be with Jesus now and be done with this. But for some reason, God has left us here. Jesus even said that to us in his high priestly prayer as he prayed just before his crucifixion. In John 17, 15 through 18, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that's us, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So the world is dominant here. It's the same way John uses it uh, in his gospel. He uses it here. But understand two words are vitally important here. Truth and God's word. 
It's the only thing God has given us to withstand the battle of this world beyond his spirit, his word, and his truth. We see that in a moment in uh, 1 John 5, 4 through 5. We see how we live in this world that seeks to conquer us. The devil wants to conquer you. He wants to lead you into disobedience and a love for this world rather than a love for God. So we read these words from 5, 4, and 5 in 1 John. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. The word here is Nike in the Greek, and it means to, to not be dominated by, to have victory over. So the, the, the thing that is being said here is that we would have not victory over conquering this world, but the victory that does not allow the world to conquer us, to lead us into its sinful delights. That is the prayer here. Listen as it moves on. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Isn't it interesting in all these passages, it doesn't speak about any weapons other than what? Truth, the word, belief and faith. And that's what must grow and survive and thrive in us to live this life uh, in this world in a way that doesn't lead us to compromise our faith and love the world. <clears throat> Remember, this is being written to a church, as we've seen in the, in the progression of the series Blessed Assurance so far, of a people <clears throat> who shared a common faith. They knew and were growing in their understanding relationship in Jesus. They had withstood false teaching, and we'll see even more of that as we move forward in the book. They've remained true to their faith. They've stayed unified. And we come now to another warning after the little uh, kind of brief interlude we had last week to another great concern John has for these believers that they do not love the world. And, and I want to remind you, throughout this message, whenever I say the word world, I'm speaking of the values, the philosophies, and all of the ideals of this Satan-controlled world that are devoid of any concern, care, or praise and glory to, to the living God, even though he created it. So bear that in mind, because you'll get confused if you don't. Understand this is a battle that goes on in, in a significant way, day in and day out in our lives. So much so that John, in chapter 4, verse 4, says this, You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. <laughs> Understand, as this world tries to influence us, if it can't get us to be a lover of it, it will want us to be its friends. And both are bad. Both lead us to a place where we're an enemy of the living God. It is a serious battle that we are presented with in the text. So that's the world. It is that, uh, that place, uh, the, the, the sphere of influence that we live in, totally dominated by human values, ideals, and philosophies, and by the rule of Satan. What does it mean to love this world? It means that we embrace those values in some measure. We buy into the ideals and the philosophies and the values of this world, and then we allow ourselves to be swept along and give them greater credence, greater value in our life than the things of God. 
we, we believe in them to some degree, and we become greedy and fleshly and selfish and indulgent. We fall under the power and influence of the powers of this world. That is to love the world. We are not overcoming it. We're under its influence, and it is winning the battle in our lives. So as we think about this love, uh, it, it's anything that will drag you or I, no, no matter the level or age of your maturity in Christ, that will drag us away in any way from the love of God is what is in view here when it says do not love the world. These, uh, <clears throat> these affections are mutually exclusive. You cannot love God and the world at the same time. Remember, he says, don't love the world. Then he says, don't even be friends with the world. If you're friends with the world, shout it out. What are you to God? An enemy. Don't lose sight of that. So that's the world we live in. So when we buy into or fall under the influence of those thoughts, those philosophies, those ideals, we fall into a place where we can move toward loving the world. Let me say it this way, and this helped me a lot. The, 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 the verb here in do not love, it's plural. It means all of us. And it means stop and do not continue to love. Because we struggle with this. So every time we're reminded of these verses, we should remember that and, and know this is the call on our lives. Any love I have for this world is in direct opposition to the living God. And it is an affront to him. This is, a, this is a hard passage, folks. It's not something I relish being up here preaching about. This, this is as hard as it can become to talk about because we all live in this world and we can be easily seduced by this world. And so with that in mind, just remember, uh, it's incompatible, it's inconceivable that we could live the, love the world and love God at the same time. I, I was trying to think, how, how could I make that... To, a, a little bit more understandable for you. And I was thinking about, you know, back when we were, <clears throat> before we married and we were dating, sometimes a guy would like to keep two gals on the string at one time and kind of convince him he loved them both. Uh, usually didn't work out very well. Same with a gal. She might, she might have a couple of hunks she's kind of attracted to and she kind of keeps both of them kind of in the loop. And, uh, you know, and, and I was thinking, maybe that'd be a good explanation. Then it dawned on me, I did that. In college, uh, Jolene was in college in Greeley, and I was in college in Fort Collins, and I couldn't come home during the week. So whenever my buddies had dates and wanted to go out during the week, I found this little filly from Texas that I kind of enjoyed hanging out with until Jolene found out about her. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a Dear John letter? Well, I got a Dear Pat letter. Shape up or ship out. 53 years later, you know what I did. I shaped up. <laughs> But, but we can't hang on to both. That's the reality that, that John is, is laying out before us here. Uh, so we can't serve uh, a, a, a world we love and, and serve a God we love. We can't love a world uh, and love a God at the same time. So, uh, and, and, and I just want us to pause and think for a moment. In this world, all we have to love is what's in it. I mean, the, the ZTR mowers, the big houses, the fancy cars, whatever. that's all there is. And one day we're going to learn it's going to be passing away. But the reality is we have something far more, far greater to love than anything in this world. And it is Jesus. You agree with that? He is the one to whom we're 
enabled by the Spirit and the Word to pour out our love for Him. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first command. So this is, this is where we're, we're striving to grow in our ability to live in this world, loving God, not loving it. Uh, finding our affections and our desires in our lives, living out his will and purpose. If you remember, Jesus said, will and love go very close together. If you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. So one of the first symptoms of not loving God is failing to obey him and seeking to do his will. So bear that in mind as we move forward in the text today. Understand all of this is what we live with. We live in this tension-filled world. Everything around us that's worldly is seeking to entice our desires and our hearts and rob us from loving God. Doesn't make any difference if, uh, uh, you know, uh, it just is the way the world is. And we can't be removed from it, as we already said, saw. Jesus left us here. We can't live in it stoically. I mean, you can't just deny yourself anything in life. So, so simply one thing we need to do when we enjoy anything in this world from God is to thank him and praise him as his good gift. So much of life is his good gift to those who know him and believe in him. But it's so easy to be deceived by the other things in our world. But we're going to live with that tension and how we respond to that tension, the choices we make, the temptations we fall into will shape how we live this life. And we'll reveal if God's love is in us. I, I kind of summed it up this way so far. Anything in our lives that causes us to lose our love for God or our desire to do God's will is worldly and will lead us away from the Father. Anything that diminishes our love for Him or our desire to do His will will lead us away. So is God's love in us? I think it's a great question. Is God's life in us? I want to address next in verse 16. The text says, for all that is in the world, remember what the world is. It's that place where Satan has control and influence. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, listen closely, is not from the Father, but from the world. So we live in a place where we are uh, unindated almost from time to time with desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and, des and, and the pride of life. And we have to live with those temptations and those challenges day in and day out. Jesus said this about the, temp the, the tension. He said, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be... Uh, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And, and money here just re represents this world and the love of it. So that's what we're faced with, living in Satan's dominion. And there are three diagnostic things that I think John gives us in this passage. The first is which is to examine the desires of our flesh, next the desire of our eyes, and lastly, the desire or, or the pride of life. So what is the flesh? Let's take a moment and talk about that. It isn't our physical body. 
It's what we possess as unregenerate man. It's what you're born with as a child. That sweet little baby in the back <laughs> that, that Noel or Nicole is holding has flesh, uh, is, is probably all flesh right now. At some point in that child's life, he will be born again. We trust and pray, and he will come to have spiritual power and life within him. The moment we're born again, we become of the Spirit. We inherit the divine nature. So we live this life with a battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Paul says it this way. No one, excuse me. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of myself in the message. Just forget that for now. We'll, we'll get to it in a moment. Uh, uh, but the idea is, is that this flesh uh, is powerful. It's all we know. It's all I knew for almost 30 years of my life. I did whatever my flesh wanted. Uh, it, it stated well in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that's the unregenerate man, the fleshly man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, <clears throat> and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There is a spiritual dimension that comes to our life when we're born again. Then we begin begin to understand the words of the scripture and the work of the spirit in our hearts and lives. And so that is what we seek to uh, grow toward. Uh, the passage I was thinking about earlier is from Galatians 5, 17. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. That is the tension that we live with in the world as believers. Are we going to give in to the flesh or are we going to overcome it through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God? God has given us innate desires that are good. Hunger, uh, the desire for rest, the desire for th or, or to be thirsty, the desire for sex. All of these are good gifts from God. But if we give in to uh, fulfilling the desire for food and become gluttonous, it's sin. If we give in to the desire for uh, rest and become slothful and lazy, it's sin. If we give in to the desire that comes naturally in the sexual dynamic of being a human, it becomes immorality. If we become and give in to thirst, we can become drunkards. So this is how the world operates and comes against us. Satan knows these desires, and he seeks to tempt us and entice us to fulfill those desires in godly, ungodly ways, ways that would uh, lead us away from God, would uh, bring <clears throat> a greater devastation to our testimony and our lives. That is what he seeks to do. The flesh is weak. Listen to this from Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak understand that, but we do have the Spirit and the Word of God to overcome it. Listen also to Romans seven eighteen. Uh, God says there is nothing good in our flesh. Nothing. So we need to be aware of these desires. And where are they from? The text there says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to do it. So the desire of the flesh is giving into the fleshliness, the fleshly desires in our lives as we're tempted, rather than resisting them and standing strong through the work of the Spirit. 
The second test is the desires of our eyes. Understand, uh, our eyes open our minds to this world. It's not just about what we eat or, or our rest. It's about what we see. It's about how we take in the visions or, or the, the, the things we see in this world, the images of this world. The sights we see go directly to our mind and can entice our mind and lead us into temptation and sin. Back in John's day, the Greeks and the Romans lived for entertainment. And I got to tell you, they got nothing on us. This world is given over almost totally to entertainment, be it movies or television or or uh, pads, iPads, and uh, you know, all the devices we have, like Xboxes, and, and all of this stuff can be used by the enemy to draw us or, or lead us away from our faith and, and our allegiance and our devotion to God as it affects and impacts our mind. You know, this is uh, exactly what happened uh, to Eve. We read these words in, in uh, Genesis 3.6. She not only gave in to the desires of the flesh, it says there, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, the desire of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desire of the eyes, she also took some of it and ate the pride of life. And so we face those same temptations day in and day out. We see it in Eve's life. We saw it in Achan's life. I don't remember the the account where the uh, army of... of, uh, Israel went in to take the promised land and and they overthrew uh, Jericho and God told them, do not take any of this spoil for yourself. But Achan saw a a very nice robe and he saw a hundred shekels of silver and 50 shekels of gold and he coveted him and he took it and hid it in his tent. And Joshua's army was defeated because of that act of obedience. The lust of his eyes led him to disobey God. David Standing on his roof in the middle of the summer saw a woman, what? Bathing. And he took her. His eyes led him into the lust uh, that led to not only adultery, but death. These are the desires of the eyes. and We need to guard against uh, allowing anything we see to lead us away from our love and or our devotion to God. The third one is the pride of life. This refers both to the inward attitude and the outward boasting that's part of our sinful nature. We we want to talk about the things we've done. We want people to see the things we've got. We want to impress people with our lives and our accomplishments and our abilities. And we're not immune to that, brothers and sisters. This is a real deal for us. It happens. The idea of the word here is to brag. To, uh, to enlarge, to magnify something about ourselves. Remember this truth. God's glory is rich and full. Man's glory is vain and empty. We have nothing to boast about. We're broken people who need a Savior, who need life from the Father to drink deep of Him. So the reality is this pride of life can lead us to a place where we boast subtly sometimes about who we are and what we have. I remember years ago, we had a Christmas dinner at our home for my staff and the church we led there. And, and we were doing that one-upmanship, cut down each other kind of thing. You know, and, and I was kind of stupid. I, I cut down one of my staff guys. And the minute the words came out of my mouth, I saw that I was cutting him down to build myself up. And I, I was just cut to the heart. 
because I love that man and never wanted to ever do anything that would bring shame to him. And I did all this stupidly because it made me sort of feel better. I think we still do those same kinds of things today. So the bottom line is the enemy will use the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the pride of life to lead us astray, to lead us away from loving God. So be on guard, be aware, stand strong in the spirit and the faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. We all have flesh. I had nothing but flesh for almost 30 years. Some of you've come to faith as adults. Some of you came as teenagers. Some of you've come as children, but you still have flesh. You also have the powerful working of the spirit within you. And it's a, who's going to win? They oppose each other. Is the spirit going to win? Are you going to surrender to the word and to the working of your spirit in your life? The scriptures say we're not to fix the flesh. We're not to reform the flesh. We're to put it to death. Ephesians 4.20 says this. uh, Excuse me, 4.22 says this. So put off your old self, speaking of the flesh, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in, your, in, in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the process that we must go through as believers, growing in our faith through the word, the work of the spirit, so we love God more. We understand more of the truth of God. Our faith enlarges and, and grows and is strengthened and we're more able to stand against day by day the temptations that come against the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the pride of life. The last uh, verse in this passage, verse 17, says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. (laughs) Understand this. One of the greatest things John said to this is that all of these fleshly desires, these things we see with our eyes, guess what? They're passing away. They're temporary. When you see or think about these things in the world that are so enticing to us, think about the fact that you're holding them in your hands and they vanish because they are passing away. Everything in this world is passing away. Remembering world is the dominion of Satan, that which he rules. But the hope for us is that we have eternity in our hearts through faith in Christ, through our brokenness, our need for a Savior, for our life. We are called to live with our eyes on eternity, to sing the songs we sang this morning. It's all passing away. You know, I'm 75, and 75 years of my life have passed away. I don't know how many I'll have left. Could be six months, could be 10 years, could be tomorrow. Where is my heart? What is it that I love? Is eternity in my heart? Am I longing for that? Am I clinging to that? That's what we hope this text will do for all of us. Let's uh, kind of wrap it up with some things that maybe can be helpful as we make this journey together. Uh, a few weeks ago, I shared with the pastors, I was reading a passage in a book that just, uh, I mean, it's one of the greatest things I've read from one of my favorite authors in the last few months. 
And essentially he said, stop being so concerned about all the sins in life like lust and greed and deceit, all those kinds of things. And he said, there's just one sin to really, really be concerned about. And it's this, this, this sin. It's voiced in Mark 22, 29 through 30. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And this is the part we need to grasp. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the sin that we most desperately need to be concerned about in our lives. I believe that if we genuinely love God or growing in that way toward God, we won't be loving the world. We'll be loving Him. Our minds will be filled with thoughts of the joy of of this world passing away, but going to be with Him, of the fact that the joys and, and, and the fulfillment in this life is in Him not in the things of this world. It's in our relationship with him that we'll dwell with him, that we can rejoice in him, that we will worship with him, that we will be partakers in his glory one day. We will not love the world if we love him this way. So that's the encouragement, the admonition today is is to do what Jesus called us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This really calls us to question, what does this love look like? It's not just memorizing things or or, or mocking words about him, but do we really love him? Do we want to spend time with him? Is he our best friend? Is he the joy and the delight of our hearts? It's not knowing about him, it's knowing him in this way. Jesus said it this way in his high priestly prayer, and this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is to love God, to know him in that way with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I know this is not easy to accomplish, but the more we focus on him, the more we delight in him, the more we trust the spirit to transform us through the word. You know, we stand up here every week and we preach the word of God and pretty much the same conclusion in every sermon is read your Bible more. Why do we do that? Because the word of God is powerful to transform the way you think and the way you do life. It is the word that informs our faith, grows our faith, empowers our faith as the spirit works in us. So you're probably going to hear that same message every week till Jesus comes back. Read the Bible. (laughs) Let it transform the way you think about God and yourself. It's hard, I know. Let me give you four simple ways, not four simple ways, but four ways maybe to think about loving God. First, loving him more with your heart. What does that look like? This is all about our affections, our emotions. Do we, do we genuinely love God in this way? Do we, do we, you know, I think most of us say, yeah, 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 I love God that way. I love all the good things he does for me. I love the fact that he saved me. I love it when he answers my prayer. But do we also say, I love God when he says, not now. When he says, quietly, I'm not removing that from your life. Do we still love God 
when we don't hear a clear answer or call to our prayer and petition. See, I, I understand the fact that God left us in this broken world as broken people for the express purpose that we would run to him and find in him our strength, his comfort, his peace, his hope, his life. That's, that's why we're still in a broken world. I get, guarantee you, I can do autopilot really well. If there wasn't any brokenness in this world, I could put it on autopilot and just go do whatever I wanted to do. But God says, I don't want you to forget me. We're in a fallen, broken world. It's hard. Love me with all your heart, even when it's hard, even when I don't show up the way you expect me to show up, even when you don't hear a direct yes or answer to your prayer. Love God with your heart through the good and the bad. Love him publicly. Let people know you're a follower of his. Let, let them see you proclaim thanksgiving and gratitude to him. How do we love God with our soul? I think this is a little more difficult to understand. To, to me, this takes us to the core of our being, to the very sense, the, the very center of our identity. Is my identity completely and totally in Christ and his life in me? I think that's what it's speaking of. Blasey Pascal said this, what else does this drawing and this helplessness proclaim but there was once in man a true happiness? I think he was thinking back to the garden before the fall. Of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeing in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with the infinite and immutable object, in other words, God himself. To love God with our soul means we're sold out and we're totally seeking to know him as our identity, our hope, our very life. I want to call us to that as a church, to love God in that way. Do we love God with our minds? You know, I think as human beings, our minds go a thousand different directions, many of which are not of God. The thoughts that pop into our heads, like, uh, I'm not good enough, or I can do that and get away with it. Or something like that, uh, uh, nobody uh, cares about me. Those kinds of things are tempting us into sinful behavior. I believe loving God with our minds means that we trust in him with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. This whole idea of renewing our minds, of, of being uh, and allowing the, the, the word of God to be absorbed into our lives, minds, and thoughts changes the way we think about ourselves and this world and life and why we're here and what we're supposed to do while we're here. His word will totally transform the way we think about life and the way we think about how to live this life. Do we love God with our minds? And lastly, do we love God with our strength? I, I, I think this is, this is where do we come to that place in life where we start doing what we believe and do we really believe it if we're not doing it? 
We can do a thousand Bible studies, but if there's no acting out of our faith by going to the lost, by living a loving life toward those who need Jesus, by reaching out to the downtrodden and those who are hurting in our world, are we really loving God with all our strength? Our strength means we're putting into practice His Word and His will in ways that reflect His glory through our lives. That is to love Him. That is to love Him with our strength, to be bold, to be risk-takers for the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. That is to love Him with our strength. I'm going to pray briefly, and then uh, before Chris comes, we're going to put the uh, Mark 12 passage on the screen. I'm going to read it for you again. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And what I want us to do after I pray is to take a couple of minutes to just reflect on those words, reread them, meditate on them. If God is bringing conviction to your life in some way, it's a sinful thing, confess it. If the Spirit is prompting you, to, prompting you to take a step, take it to love God more. So we're going to leave you a few moments to just meditate on that to conclude the service. So join me as I pray. <clears throat> Father, help us, oh God, to love you with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. God, keep us in your spirit and through your word strong against the temptations and deceptions of the evil world in which we live. We need to understand we live in a world that is totally and completely opposed to you. So God, guide us, lead us, empower us to love you in these ways. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a few moments. I have got to do something before we finish. If you feel led of God to do what I'm going to do right now, join me. Father, I boldly confess to God I have not loved you with my whole heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. God, give me, give us your dwelling spiritual power to love you as you deserve to be loved. God, there's nothing except you in this world to love. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that the death of Jesus was sufficient to pay for any and every sin, even this one. But God, keep it ever before me. And I pray these folks here that we will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, as we leave today, I pray we go with that thought to love him with all of our being, our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. Go and love God with all you are.